Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Gabe Mendez, man, thank you so much for being on the Michael Litton Experience. I'm so pumped to have you be on here. This is so cool. I'm so honored. You have no idea. So I'm a huge fan, and I'm excited to get your story. So like we talked about before we hit record, our path, you know, everybody has a story. Our passion is to help them tell it. And what we believe truly with every fiber of our being is people will listen to your life story. And we're going to start with from birth to, to today. People will hear your life story and they'll connect with you. And it will inspire and motivate them to do things that they've been putting off. Okay. So I cannot thank you enough for being here from the bottom of my heart. And I'm so pumped that you're part of Awakened Church and you were able to go to Pathfinders and all that. My daughter's really excited. So this is cool. So um, next time I'm there, I'm going to introduce you to her. So she's really awesome. Um, So let's start with where you were born. So born and raised here in San Diego. Okay. Uh, Chula Vista was a hospital specifically, but the neighborhood I grew up in was Paradise Hills, National City. Okay. Uh, Spent my first five years, I would say, there in that area. Okay. And then mama moved us out. I took us over to Bonita. Okay. And that's kind of where I spent my pretty. adolescent, like uh, from about seven or eight until about high school. Yeah. Kind of yeah. interesting. Bonita's right across the freeway from Paradise from Hills. Paradise Hills. Yeah. So yeah. It's not that far. That's no, not that far. But, but it's nicer. It's, it's, for it's sure. like, uh, have you watched the movie Lion King? Yeah. You know where the scene where Mufasa walks Simba up to the mountain and he's like, what's over there in that dark area? You yeah. Know? Couple of friends and I joke around. It's like, oh, that's that's Paradise Hill. Like, oh, <laughs> don't go over there. <laughs> yeah, you can say that because you you were born there, right? Yeah, you grew yeah. up there. Yeah, right on Rio, man. It was um, it's changed a lot, but yeah. it shaped a big part of who I am. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. That's a neat area. I mean, it's I'm not I'm not I'm not down on on Paradise Hill or anything, but Benita's a lot prettier. Well, I didn't really see the Paradise when I was younger, right. but now that I'm growing up selling real estate yeah. and I see it, there's actually a lot of. Um, beautiful houses that live that are over there that actually are on a hill where you have a clear view of Coronado, mm-hmm. Silver Strand, the water, it's that sunset. I just sold a home in Paradise Hills for eight hundred and eighty eight thousand. Wow. Yeah. The view is incredible. Oh, I'm like, I can't believe this was even up here. It was yeah. a hidden gem. So I see why they called it Paradise Hills. Yeah. Because you definitely get the glow from the sun and it's beautiful over there. That's cool. Yeah. So you grew up in Bonita? Um I would say I would say so. Yeah. I would say okay. So where'd you go to high school? Um, so I went to high school in Bonita, but I got into a lot of trouble. So really? yeah, I got into a lot of trouble. You? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of trouble in high school, man. It was an interesting experience. So, well, because it has a lot to do with the story of how I grew up too. Yeah. You know, I had a single mother raised me, father wasn't involved. So I had a lot of time, a lot of freedom. So when you have a lot of time, when literally no one watching, from the moment you get dropped off at school until about four o'clock in the evening, five o'clock. So you're your last key kid. I mean, yes, yeah, so I'm yeah. just running around everywhere. Bus takes me home, takes me to school, 
Mom expected us to go back inside the house and just wait until she got there. And what did they say about idle hands? Idle right? hands, there's a playground. <laughs> so sure enough, man, the entire city of Bonita and Paradise Hills was our playground, and we got into a lot of trouble back then. So that was it. Was it was a rough couple of years, but to answer the question, it was Bonita. Mm -hmm. Then I went to East Lake. Okay. Then to Hilltop. Okay. Then Chula Vista. Came back to Bonita. So. All during your high school years, you made all those moves? All those moves. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What was that like? At that time, it was a lot of fun. Was it? It was because I had an opportunity to meet so many cool people. Right. Go to schools, like be the new kid, and that feeling of being the new kid there, you have to find who you're hanging out with, uh, and then you find your clique or your group that you want to hang out with, and yeah. that's kind of like, and you multiply that times four. Yeah. And then you end up having a bunch of friendships everywhere. Oh, that's cool. And that benefited me a lot in the future with real estate. Yeah. I don't, I don't encourage you guys to get in trouble out there, but <laughs> it's just how it played out, right? It's just how it played out. Well, it, you, I think you probably have always been a people person to an extent. Yeah. Well, right? you know, to an extent. Yeah. But it took a lot. I was always the quiet kid up until yeah. about seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. And very reserved, single mother, Christian woman, so she was very strict very reserved until about seventh grade middle school that's when that's when i started to find my voice yeah. and that's when i had a lot of people around me encouraging me to become the class clown a little more fun a little more leniency and then high school is really just like the breakout the thing where you know jock too much fun yeah so let me ask you this what was your favorite thing about growing up in Benita? I would have to say it was the friendships that I made. Okay. The friendships. So I had a lot of people who went to Benita High School, even Benita Middle, that were not from Benita, but right. their parents were taking them there for the school district. Yeah. So I met a couple of cool guys. A lot of that going on. Uh, really good. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that going on. And um, so I met a couple of cool guys that were not from Benita, but had similar backgrounds National City, Paradise Hills, um, Logan Avenue going there. And so we all kind of like had that in common, and we're all Hispanic. So we all clicked up, we all played football, and that was kind of our group, and that was that was the best thing because it grounded me and it gave me like a brotherhood. Right. I never had that. So I'm the eldest, I have a younger sister who's three years younger than I am, and I didn't have a father, so to have like four or five guys around me that are like brothers or playing around with fighting, playing video games, like that to me was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, so that was the favorite part, I would say. Yeah, Did you have favorite. a favorite subject in high school? Music. Okay, why? Uh, I've always had a... I've always had like an artistic side. I okay. love creating. Okay. I love drawing. I love painting. Okay. I love. I bought a keyboard. I taught myself how to play music. Cool. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So in high school, I loved doing the choir. Yeah. I loved singing. I loved uh, playing the guitar and the uh, drums. Uh, so that was a fun. That was a fun thing. It was a lot of. It's actually kind of random. A lot of people don't know that about me. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I I didn't. I wouldn't know that. No. One if you scroll back on my Instagram like there like ten years ago, like a long time, a long time, like four thousand <laughs> posts ago, deep. It took a while to get there. Uh, but there's there's like videos of me like just sitting there playing like just different types of music on the oh, piano. Nothing of me singing, but I don't. I'm not you afraid. still play? Um, I don't. Not as much as I do, but I have my keyboard there in my office, so I look at it every day. I'm like, oh, one of these days, man. I'm gonna my wife's always like, put it so away. So many dust in every yeah, yeah. Right? She, yeah. She's going dusty, and she's like, put it away already. You know, right. I'm like, no, right. babe. If I put it away, no, I'm I never gonna play it. it. Yeah. I need to see it. It's never gonna happen. We'll never get yeah, there. Yeah, we'll never get there. If it's in the closet. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, the karaoke thing, I love that. Yeah. The karaoke's a lot of fun. So yeah. I always look for that opportunity to go out and. I'll sing things like "Living in a Little Cup" by Ricky Martin. Oh, I love. I'm the guy like dancing on the table, having a good time. I, I love, love performing. It. I love That's performing. Cool. 
Uh, so that's a fun part. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you play any sports? Uh, sports? I played soccer for a little bit of football. It was the main one. Was so which one was your favorite? Football. Okay. American football. And you're a wide receiver? Wide receiver. Okay. Yeah, so I was the uh, slot and I was the wide out. And uh, the only thing that held me back, I'm so upset at my grades. That's the only thing. But I played, off, I played and when I did, I was crushing it. Did an yeah. awesome job. I just remember Friday night game. There was one game in particular that I remember Friday night. I forgot who we were playing. I think it was either the high school. And I was at Hilltop at this time. Yeah. And uh, it was varsity football. And um, But I was actually on defense at this time. So I was a cornerback or free safety. And I was sitting in the back and I remember just like the, the lights and I remember seeing everyone from high school in Benita and I see all my Hilltop friends. And then my girlfriend who went to Benita was there and she was watching me at Hilltop play. And I just remember like the lights were so bright, the night was dark, but it was loud and crisp. And this big, I think they threw like a post or a corner or something. I just remember the ball going in the air. And I didn't intercept it or anything like that, but that's like one of the most vivid memories that I have of football in high school. I was like watching that ball go in the air, I'm backpedaling. And I don't remember what happens after that. But I just remember just like that scene. I remember like looking at the quarterback and everything. Uh, so football was a fun one for me. Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Did you play? I did. I didn't play in high school. I played in middle school. But I, when I was a freshman, yeah. I went out for football. And I made the team and all that kind of stuff. But I went to the doctor to get medical clearance. And he found a degenerative um, condition that's in, it's an inherited thing um, in my knees both my knees and so at that young of an age yeah and my well my my what happened was my cousin who was like eight years older than me five yeah six years older than me um, cousin of mine played varsity football in texas and had eight surgeries eight knee surgeries on one knee in his high school years wow and they just you know it was like so they knew what they were looking for Mm -hmm. specifically and so he diagnosed me and said he would not would not clear me, and so I said, "Well, I'll go to a different doctor." Kind of bullhead, right? Yeah. And uh, my mother's like, "No, because I have to sign this thing. You're a minor still. I have to sign this, and I'm not signing it. Mm-hmm. You're not playing." And so I ended up having to figure out some other way. I went out for for baseball. I lettered in baseball my freshman year, um, but I ended you're up. Big, you're a big guy. Yeah, you're tall. big guy. Yeah. I ended up I ended up figuring out a different path, uh, which is weird, but. I was farming in Oklahoma with my grandfather for nine years <clears throat> and I was back there farming and my mother would have to register me for school because I was not here to register and he had to do it a couple weeks before school started. So she went and registered me and she called me and she said, I, I signed you up since you're not in football. I signed you up for an elective and I said, okay. She said, I signed you up for speech class. And I said, I don't have a problem speaking. I don't have a speech impediment. Yeah. I don't need speech class, right? And she said, well, it's not that, it's public speaking. It's actually public speaking. Okay, well, yeah, right? She said, I'll tell you what, just try it. Just try it. And if you don't like it, you can drop it. So I tried it. And I didn't know this at the time, but the instructor was actually the coach of the speech and debate team. Uh, at this high school, and they had won nationals before. He was one of the top in the nation. Wow. No idea. No idea, right? And he was just kind of a grumpy old guy to me, right? And so I go there, and he asked me to do a speech on Star Wars, which I did. The speech on Star Wars was a popular thing at the time. Did it. And I thought I was terrible. 
absolutely terrible, right? And I was scared to death and I hated it and the whole thing. Hated getting in front of people and talking, right? Yeah. And afterwards he said, could you stay after class? First class, could you stay after class? Yeah, so I stay and he goes, listen, I, or second class, I'm part of me. So the first class he assigned in the second class the next day was when I did the speech. He goes, we have a speech tournament at San Diego State this Saturday. And the bus here leaves here at 7 a.m. I'd love for you to come check it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to be any part of it. But I believe you could be a champion. I believe you could be the best of the best in the nation. And when I graduated, I was in the one half, top one half of 1% of competitive public speakers and debaters nationwide. Yeah. No way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! It was crazy. I was the I was the captain of the, of the debate team my junior and senior year. That's so cool. And it, well, it, you know, and I was the I was the biggest guy in the room every single time. I also had the biggest voice, right? Yeah. But I was the biggest guy in the room every single time, um, which intimidated people because the people I was debating were yeah, smaller small. and you know, yeah, right? And they got little, the big guy with the deep voice. Deep, yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah. know, so I was a little overpowering, but. I was also passionate about what I was doing, and I was absolutely passionate about whatever my position was, and I and I would win. I was I was competitive as all get out, right? I would win because I got good at arguing. I got good at speaking in public. I got good at this, and it turned out that it was probably the best thing that my mother could have done for me because I could still walk, right? You know, I probably wouldn't be able to walk as well as I do now if I've had all that damage to my to my knees and you know eight surgeries and all. You know, right? My my cousin's not in such good shape. He's really rough, having a tough time because his knees are killing him because he played football. You know, so as it turned out, it was the best thing for me. I didn't quite take to it at the very beginning, um, but I'm curious. So, so um, I I love public speaking. Yeah, I can tell that. You have a very powerful voice. The yeah. cadence that you speak, the volume, just it's very wholesome and it's very easy to listen to. So I think it makes a lot of sense that you have a podcast that you're on radio because the voice alone is just very captivating. Well, I have a great face for radio. You have a great face too, man. I, like I have a great face like for radio. My, my, my wife shares that with me every day. <laughs> she got you good there, dude. <laughs> but no, the voice is on point. I love it. I got to tell you. So... I love your the resonance. I love how deep it is. I love how clear you speak. How articulate you are. Um, everything about it. And I was watching some of your Instagram videos. I'm like, this guy has a great voice. And so it makes a lot of sense. I was never on the debate team. I don't know what that that's actually like. But I did go through a program called Toastmasters. Are you familiar yeah, with them? I love Toastmasters. So Toastmasters. I was introduced to that about ten years ago. Before I get into that, I want to know because I'm just curious. They, they my... kicked me out. Toastmasters. Yeah, when I go to Toastmasters, they pick me out. Yeah, boy, man. I'm like, dude, dude, what's up? You they're be, like, they're you like, well, be. here's 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 a here's a subject. Mm-hmm. We want you to speak about it. Thirty minutes later, they're like, no, you can't stay here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Will you intimidate our members? Okay. You need to compete. They have the competition coming up. Yeah, it's their international competition that's coming up. So I just signed up for it. Let's go. It's the second time I'm doing it. I mean, uh, trust me, it's so much fun. And I've been watching these guys online, some of their competitors. And man, just the way they flow around stage and the storytelling and the way they're able to elicit emotion and laughter in like seven minutes and create an entire story is just so powerful. Um, but before I get into that, I want to. It takes me 30 minutes to introduce myself. <laughs> That's a speaker right there. There you go. <laughs> so, question What would you say is like the top two or three takeaways? 
from a debate perspective or competitive speech perspective that someone would need? Like, you know, the fundamentals. If someone were to say, hey, what are the top three fundamentals in basketball or something like that, Gabe? It's like how you dribble the ball, how you're holding the ball while you shoot. So what would you say that is in debate? Great question. Great question. Um, number one is you've got to care. And this this took this took a while for me to I mean I, I literally did thousands of speeches and I had a situation in Anaheim where the speaker and this is after school but um, the speaker that was supposed to get up and teach for eight hours um, got sick like literally violently ill ten minutes before the before the show they came to me and said you're the only person that knows this material and we need you to teach for the next eight hours with less than 10 minutes notice and there's thousands of people in this audience and I thought I was going to lose my mind I I got a, I ended up with a panic attack it was not good it was it was one of the worst moments of my life but in the worst moment of your life when you are feeling the most panicked and the most just completely out of out of your body God shared something with it was unbelievable. And it was, you have to care more about those people than you do about you. And your own feelings in that moment. And immediately the panic went away. I got this amazing feeling of confidence, like just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. So the number one thing is you have to care deeply, more so about those people that are sitting in that audience than you do about yourself. The second thing you have to do is you have to have this just overwhelming passion. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Robbins has it, Tony Robbins has it. But it's this overwhelming passion to move people. And the third thing you have to have is sensory acuity. Because you have to be able to read your audience. You can't stand, I don't believe, to be effective, I don't believe you can stand on a stage and talk to people, okay? I believe what you have to do is you have to get down off the stage, be among them, okay? And and get a feel for where they're coming from. Because you'll, like, if this is, this, you've seen this before, where you're sitting and you're talking to somebody, they're just not getting it. Like, they have a question, they're, they're not connecting the dots, they have a question, they're not willing to ask it in front of thousands and thousands of people. You with me? But if you go up to them and you talk to them as if they're the only person in the room, right? They will gain the confidence to ask you the question and then you just repeat it to everybody else, right? It's like a deal that you make with them, okay? And what they found when I did that speech, that, that, that all day thing was People, like 85% of the people in that room responded to me. They thought of me as a friend when we were done. Wow. Because it wasn't, it wasn't me talking to them, right? So, so I'll give you an example. I was with a buddy of mine, a client, with a buddy, he's become a good friend, um, in UTC. We were having breakfast one morning, and we were talking about this property in Carmel Valley that we were going to buy and he was going to develop. He was going to build eight houses, beautiful houses. <clears throat> so we were going through all the details of the deal and he just checked out mentally. 
Like if you ever sat with somebody and they're just like, they just like yeah, tune you out kind yeah, of thing, right? Else, yeah. He checked out. And I just stopped and I'm like, dude, talk to me. What's going on? He goes, listen, does you remember our, our baby? I said, yeah, he's one now. He goes, yeah, he just turned one. He goes, we're worried. I'm like, what are you worried about? He goes, he hasn't spoken in two months. I'm like, no, 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 not your kid. When I would call you and talk to you on the speakerphone in your truck, your kid talked more than you did. And he <laughs> talked, you know, he talked baby talk, right? Yeah, yeah. But he wanted in on that conversation, right? So I would talk to him over the speakerphone. I'm on my cell phone, right? And I'm literally talking to him over the speakerphone, like, how are you doing? You taking good care of mama? You know, how's daddy doing? Is daddy driving okay? Tell daddy to drive safe, you know, right? And and I'm asking him questions and he's he's in the conversation with me more so than his dad is, right? And he's like, he hasn't said a thing in two months, Mike. We're concerned he might have autism. I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you a question because I've got a 25 and 23 year old at home, right? Or 20, they're at home. 23 year olds at home, but the 25 year olds are in California. But I've raised them, right? And I said, so when you come home, what do you do? And he goes, I, he goes, I give him a hug and a kiss and I talk to him. I said, okay, well, stop doing that. And he goes, which part, right? And I'm like, well, tell him, tell him, you, tell him you love him, right? Give him a hug and a kiss, but don't talk to him anymore. And he goes, what? I said, just ask him questions. I promise you, I promise you, people are absolutely programmed to answer questions out of the world. If you don't think so, walk up to a toddler that's throwing a fit and ask him, what's wrong? They'll stop, focus on you, and forget that they were even having a tantrum. They'll forget all about what they were upset about because they want to answer your question. Okay? I said, so when you go home, hug him, kiss him, tell him you love him, ask him questions. He can't answer, just ask. They said, what does he do when he wants something? He said, he points and he grunts. And I said, I did that when I was a kid. And I said, and the lady that was watching me had six boys. She was on a farm in Oklahoma and she had no time for me, for grunting, okay? So she would make me tell her what it was that I wanted before she got it for me. He's gonna cry because he has you wrapped around his little finger. Mama's gonna get upset, so you need to talk to her first, right? Make sure you're on the same page. But make him tell you what he wants, okay? Make him tell you. Two days later, I called him. I said, how are we doing? Or no, pardon me, three days later. Three days later, I called him. I said, how are we doing? He goes, well, we're not worried anymore. I said, why is that? He goes, we can't get him to shut up. No way. Questions are the most powerful thing you can use in human communication. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Okay? Because it gets people focused on, gets people focused on answering your question, but it also gets them focused on the fact that you care deeply about them. Right? So I stood in front of thousands and thousands of people and just said, look, talk to me. You know, what is it that you guys don't know? What is it that you haven't learned? Where do I need to fill in the blanks? Right? I don't want to do just a normal, you know, I'm going to spew this for eight hours kind of thing. I want to have an interactive conversation with you if you're okay with it. Are you okay with it? And I would get people's permission in the audience. And they were, I'm not joking when I tell you this, they were literally answering for the rest of the people there. So you know how you sit in a classroom and everybody has this one question, but nobody's willing to ask. And then finally somebody asks and everybody goes, oh, great. I'm so glad they asked that. 
that happens in every group setting. And it doesn't matter if they're billionaires, it doesn't matter, none of that stuff matters. They're human beings first, okay? And questions are the single most powerful way to communicate with another human being and to connect with them that, that there is, period, period. Because what happens is we go about our lives and there are people we care about, there are people we, we come in contact with, there are people we deal with every day. And we communicate with them in certain ways, right? But they don't connect with us until we stop for a second. By the way, this works really well with your wife. I'm not joking. Not joking, okay? Just come home and ask her, how was your day? How are you feeling? Why are you feeling that? Okay, dude, it's huge because we are so busy. We have so much going on, right? And we come home and we bring that stuff home, okay? Not entirely, but we kind of do, right? That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for us to walk in the door and start asking them questions about them, okay? Um, I know your son, by the way, congratulations. That's so cool. Your son won gold the other day. Yeah. I saw the, I saw the Instagram that he did where he came out and told everybody that he placed third or whatever it was. And that's okay because he's going to come back and he's going to try again. He's going to right. when you're talking with your children, it's called the Socratic method, but when you're talking with your children and your, and your spouse and the P and your staff, people around you that you care about or anybody you want to connect with, ask them questions and then ask them questions about what they just answered, okay? And I just had this conversation the other day and I don't remember exactly who it was I had because I interviewed a lot of people for the podcast, but we were on the podcast and one of the things that we talked about was, oh, you know what, I know exactly who it was. So communication nowadays is I'm talking and you're trying to think of what you're gonna say next. Hmm. Yeah. Okay? That's not a conversation. That's a debate. Okay? A conversation is I'm speaking to you, you're listening to what I'm saying, and then you have the courtesy to then ask me about what I just said. Okay, so I'll give you an example. You go home, your wife doesn't seem like she's, you know, seems like she's had a rough day, you know, that kind of thing. Honey, you okay? How was your day? What, why, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? Okay, and you know, say she, say she says something like, oh, it's frustrating. Okay, so why was it frustrating? She now knows that you're actively listening to what she's saying and you're, and that shows her that you care deeply about what's going on with her. Right? Same thing with your staff, same thing with your clients, same thing with anybody, friends, anybody that's around you, ask questions. And so one of the things that set me apart in terms of human communication, right, and speaking and that kind of thing, is I, gener I genuinely want to know your story. I genuinely want to know what's going on with you, and I gener genuinely want to know how I can help. That makes sense? Yeah. 
there's so much that you said right there that <laughs> was just was artful. It was masterful. There were so many details that you were talking about, asking questions and ask. The thing that stood out the most was ask the question and then ask why they said that. Because it automatically brought me back to um, so my wife and I went through spiritual counseling. Yeah. And one of the things that they said in spiritual counseling was whenever there's a, a conflict between you two, first tell the person what happened, like, hey, this is what happened, this is what you said, and this is what you how what you said made me feel. Mm -hmm. And then the person who is being talked to needs to respond with, I'm so sorry that I made you feel that way. What I meant to say was actually this. Mm -hmm. And I come back and say, well, this is not what I heard you say. I heard you tell me that. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of re recycling and repeating back and forth. One thing I haven't done, though, was ask people, why is it you said that? Why, where did that come from? Because that what almost- What makes you feel that way? What makes you feel that way? Yeah. What made you respond that way? Well, I'm, gonna give you, I'm gonna give you an example, okay? So I'm a big believer. I wrote, a, I wrote an entire training called Power Connections for a real estate office that was having a really tough time their people were having a tough time closing deals. And I don't know if you know this, but I owned the Keller Williams office for 18 years. One oh, okay. yeah. So, and I owned it solely. So I was one of the only people in the nation that owned 100% of the Keller Williams office for 18 years. So one of the things that I did that I do is I do connections. And what I mean by that is I'm down in, and this is just an example, um, Southwestern College, you've heard of, right? Southwestern College, um, the, the lady that was in charge of their real estate business business department down there <clears throat> was a client of mine. She used to sell new homes in Chula Vista and I, in Eastlake area, and I used to actually finance them for her. She got her bachelor's degree at night school, got her master's degree at night school, went, quit real estate and went to work for Southwestern College. Because of her real estate background, they put her in charge of the, of the, of the department. So her first class is a real estate principles class that you have to take to get your license right you got to be able to take the state the state exam she's teaching principles and she says to the to the group she says listen here's your assignment i want you to go out and interview brokers lo a local broker and i want you to come back and do a report on it and, and do a presentation in front of the class about it she did that they did that and half of them didn't show up the next time and she reached out to them and she's like what's going on and they're like these people are jerks. If we, if we have to work for these people, we don't want to be in this business. We want to go do something else. She says, I'm going to bring somebody in here and I want you to come back for just this one because I, I know a broker owner that's not a jerk. I'm going to bring him in. If after that one class, you want to quit, quit. But this guy, you need to meet. She calls my mother and she says, I need him next Tuesday night, right? And she said, I need, she said, I know he's too busy for this. I need you to go lean on him. My mother walks into my office. My mother was working at the front desk at the Colorado office, obviously. My mother walks in the front and she goes, I need you to do this. And I said, mother, what you don't know is if Gail asked me to jump, I'd ask her how high. You tell me where I need to be at what time and I will be there. So I went down and talked to her. That started and by the way, all of them, all of them stayed on. So all of them stayed. They didn't quit. Yeah. And she said, I'm going to have you talk to every single class that I have from now on. So she has a class at the Adult Education Center in National City on real estate practice. 
and she wants me to come down and do my normal thing on how to connect, how to, how to succeed in real estate, okay? And so I go down and I'm doing my thing. I'm 15 minutes into it, and there's a kid, in the, and there's 45 people in this room. There's a kid in the left-hand corner in a desk, hat on sideways, and every time I say something, he's got his arms, every time I say something, to his neighbor, right? And I got all of that I could stand. So I walked up to him and stood over him. And I said, I get the feeling that you think I don't know what I'm talking about. And he said, I think you're full of. And I said, well, how about if I give you an example right here, right now, live? He goes, I'd love to see this, right? I walked up front. I picked out the hottest girl in the room. She was gorgeous. And I mean, everybody was checking her out, okay? I walked up to her and I shook her hand and I said, hi, I'm Mike. And she said, hi, I'm Missy. I said, we ever met before? She said, no. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, where are you from? She said, Chula Vista. Or I asked her, I said, where were you born? And she said, Chula Vista. I said, did you grow up in Chula Vista? She said, yeah. I said, what was your favorite thing about growing up in Chula Vista? She said, the beach. I said, great. What was your favorite thing about the beach? She said, the ocean. So what was your favorite thing about the ocean? She said, swimming in the ocean. And I said, why? And she said, Mike, I never feel as free as I do when I'm swimming in the ocean. I said, Missy, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, we've known each other now less than a minute. We've never met before. Do you feel closer to me than you did a minute ago? She said, closer, I'm ready to marry you. <laughs> we never heard a peep out of that kid. The rest of the class. Hey, you are good. Okay? You are good. But here's the deal. I love it. Think about what I just did. It's really very simple, but think about what, and by the way, after the class, she came up to me, she said, Mr. Litton, I was sort of kidding, but I was sort of being serious. And I said, Missy, I'm, I'm married. I, you know, I've got kids, I'm, right? You're right. And she goes, you don't know this, but I'm 18 years old and I've stopped dating. And I said, why? And she said, all the boys my age want to talk about themselves. They don't care anything about me. You're the only man in 18 years that's shown any interest in me whatsoever. Now that says something. Wow. Okay. So the point I'm getting at is this. What I did with her is exactly what I did with that crowd. Exactly what I'm, what I'm telling you. I asked her where she was born. She said Chula Vista. I asked her, what was her, did she grow up in Chula Vista? Yeah. What was your favorite thing about growing up in Chula Vista? The beach. What was your favorite thing about the beach? The ocean. What was your favorite thing about the ocean? Swimming in the ocean. Right? Everything I'm doing is what we call piggyback questions, where she's giving me an answer and then I'm asking her about that answer. Okay? And what I'm doing is I'm connecting with her. This stuff works on your wife too, by the way. It works on your staff. It works on your clients. It works on the people you're looking to influence. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I took away from Pathfinders that I didn't hear enough of, it was questions. They talked at you, you know this, they talked at you, but they didn't ask you questions. And they could be so much more effective if they did. You're talking about from an engagement standpoint or yeah. on stage? Engaging. So so literally engaging. Because here's the thing. 
Who's the most important person in the room at Pathfires? Who's the most important person in the room at a seminar? The audience, I would say. It has to be the audience. Yeah. It can't be the person that's up there. Right. Right? So, so one of the things about Rulin, John Rulin, who wrote Giftology, one of the things about John is John makes it about the other person. It's his magic. Okay? Now, if I was advising John, I would advise him to make it about the audience member and have an interactive conversation with them, right? Just like I did with that girl. And what happens is it engages the, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if you've noticed this, and you probably have, but even at Pathfinders, when they when they hit on a subject that resonated. The leaders were up. Pastor Jurgen was up, yeah. right? Yeah. Higginbottom, Higginbottom, Higginbottom was up, mm -hmm. right? They were up, yeah. and they were animated. Correct. Okay, that is something that the rest of the crowd watches, and it helps to engage them. But it's not where you want to be. It's it, it it helps. It absolutely helps, but it's not where you want to be. Where you want to be is having a conversation with somebody that's not a leadership, that's just there to learn, right? And you're addressing their issues. You're addressing their challenges. You're helping them get to work. It lifts the entire tide. All the rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody in that place feels connected to you when that happens. Because you picked somebody who's not in leadership. You picked somebody that you weren't necessarily supposed to pick. Okay, it's like Jesus washing feet. Okay, you pick somebody that you didn't have to pick. You pick somebody that's just out of the crowd, but you respond to them. Like the, the most magical thing Rulin could have done was find somebody who has an interest in what he's talking about, get off the stage and have a, and have a conversation with them one-on-one -on -one right in front of everybody. Wow. So it's you, a consultation. So you actually mean literally on stage while you're presenting. And you while you're presenting. While you're presenting. Identifying someone in the crowd that's really resonating with you. It's not in leadership. It's not a person of influence who's just an everyday person just like the rest of the majority is out there. Identify who that is. Ask a question. And see Don't someone ask a series of questions. Ask a series. Just of questions. like I did with her. Yeah. Ask a series of questions. Find the person. Get off stage. Ask a question. Ask a series of questions afterwards and watch you connect with that person, but also watch it resonate with everyone. And watch you solve whatever the problem is. Whatever the point is that you were there for. Whatever it is. So, so oh. when you're, when you're, so when, so wow. let me ask you this. When you're presenting to somebody and you're on stage, can you imagine that there's probably different agendas right. in that audience? Yeah. Right? Pastor Jurgen's there for a different reason. Pastor Marco was there for a different reason. Pastor Natalie was there for a different reason, right? They were our hosts, right? You remember? Right. right. Um, Higginbottom was there for a different reason. Everybody had a different reason slash agenda for being there, right? Right. Go find somebody who is just sitting in the audience and they're just, they have a challenge because everybody that's there has something that they're trying to fix. I don't care who it is. They're there to fix something. They're there to hear something that's going to help them connect the dots. I have news for you. You can connect the dots in less than a minute. 
if you're the speaker and you get you approach that person and you have a conversation with them, a real conversation with them, a real consultation, you can solve it in less than a minute. Now, tell me how impressive that would be. It's extremely impressive. Unbelievable. You ever with the jaw on the floor. Absolutely. How quickly that was and how effective it was. Exactly. And then how many problems you solved at the exact same time. But right, because a whole bunch of them have the similar yeah, issues. Similar issues. Right? And, and then, if nothing else, if nothing else, if they don't have that issue or that challenge or anything remotely close to that, they're connecting to you. Yeah. And then it inspires other people perhaps to piggyback off your piggyback and say, well, hey, can you elaborate more on that? I have this question. And then now you, great question over here. Let's keep that going over here. Then you have a bunch of ahas, and by the end right. of it, everyone's floored. It's right. like I had everything solved that I needed right here because right. it went straight for what was most important, which was them. Oh my gosh! I hope you guys took this away. <laughs> I mean, this is this guy is high this level. Was, this was literally see. not what we're here to talk about, but but it's but yeah, it's but, it's important. Right? Communication's important. Oh, it's important, and, and it's how you how you right communicate right. is important. Yeah. Okay, and how you care is important. Right, because all of this comes from a place of love. All of this comes from, I want to have an impact that's greater than everybody else. I want to communicate the way, and I want people to communicate the way that's more effective. Yeah. You with me? Like we could take Pathfinders to a whole nother level. No joke, every single session could go to a whole nother level. It literally comes down to how you approach it, and it comes down to what you do with the people that are there in the audience. The um, new agents, whenever they were, um, whenever they have questions for me, because I coach a lot of them, mm -hmm. and one of the biggest things they tell me is like, I just don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they lack confidence, they don't take bold action, and they don't call, they don't do anything, and they just end up in the cycle where nothing ends up happening. And what I tell them is something that you touched on, it's, if you can just care from the bottom of your heart, just truly be there to find out if you care. I'm like, everything else else will come natural. That's like 50% of the heavy lifting right there. Just sit down, and even if you don't know what you don't know, just care. Yeah. What's going on with your situation? How did you end up there? What, what, are you, what is it you're looking to do? Why do you want to sell the move? Do you absolutely have to sell? Do you need to have a contingent? Are you doing it? Is this an investment product? Tell me more about it. Mm -hmm. and if you just genuinely care and you want to help a person out, I mean, most of the heavy lifting is already done. Mm -hmm. And it's just, now what are the technical questions you have to, the technical things you have to know? Like, okay, well, it's a 1031, and you have to identify another property, spend 180 days, X, Y, Z, whatever, that's a technical stuff. Mm -hmm. But you'll get there eventually, and that's the stuff I can help out with. But if you just genuinely care and start the conversation, the person on the other side will feel this energy, they'll feel the sympathy, they'll feel like this guy's actually here for the right reason. And just because the simple fact that he cares more than the other person who's dressed in a nice suit, or is a slick talker, um, they'll more than likely come with you just because of that connection. The connection. So I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. When you're talking with your new agents, sit down with them and ask them what's holding them back. Okay? Talk to me about the fear. Tell me what the fear, tell me what you're feeling. Here's what I'll, here's what you'll find. If you get them, and you have to ask them, you may have to ask them a few times, right? You may have to ask them different ways. But if you finally pull out of them what their fear is, what you'll find, and I, you probably have had this happen before, where you've had a conversation with somebody about something that was going on that was emotional, and it was, and it felt like it was this big, okay? And they finally told you what it was, and then they were like, 
oh, that doesn't feel so big now that I said it. Okay? When it sits in here, it festers. When it sits in here, it festers. When it comes out here, it reduces. It, it swells in here. It reduces out here. With me? So get them to tell you what's holding them back. Get them to verbalize to you how they feel about prospects. Why did they get into this business in the first place? Right? And what you'll find is they got into this business because somebody that was in their family dealt with a real estate agent that they felt like felt like didn't treat them right. Or they got into this business because they want, you know, attorneys are this way. If you sit down with, a, with any attorney, I don't care who they are, you will find something that's idealistic about them. Somebody got cheated that they watched get cheated. Somebody got hurt that they watched get hurt. Somebody, right? Yeah. I had a client. That was, I have a client that's a that's a an attorney, and I sat with her and I said, "Let me ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? Because she's, by the way, one of the best in the business of what she does." And she said, "You know, Mike, nobody's ever asked me that before." You know, nobody's ever asked me what made me be, not even the people that she works for. Nobody's ever sat with her and asked her, why do you do this? Turns out, as she was growing up, she saw people that she loved dearly, okay, get hurt and, and get hurt by employers, like literally abused by employers and that kind of thing. And she now sues big companies on behalf of the employees for safe working environments, non-hostile working environments, right? She literally, through everything she does every day, makes life better for people that are working for large corporations. Wow. And she sits in rooms wow. with these old guys that are three times her age, and, she, and they look at her like she's there to fetch them coffee. Wow. Okay? And she's the one sitting across the table from them negotiating on behalf of these workers. There's a passion there that comes from hurt, okay? Yeah. That's what you need to do. You need to go back to your office, sit with each and every one of your new agents, actually all of your agents. And by the way, you should do this with your wife too. What drives you? What? Why is it that this is so important to you? Talk to me, what's happened in the past? What has, what's happened that you're, that you, that made you do this? You'll be shocked what you'll find. My goodness, I could just see that conversation being so emotional. And then what happens is it lifts, I'm not joking, it lifts them in a way that you can't stop them. They become unstoppable. They become somebody that just, there are no limits. There are no, there are, you know, this is, right? Because they get it off their chest. They, they verbalize the hurt that they're current, because I guarantee you, if they have any trepidation whatsoever about, about talking to, to strangers, there's fear there, there's a hurt there. Get it out of them. If you get it out of them, you'll turn them into superstars. This is not what we came here to talk about. <laughs> I know, I know, but, I know. But, but it's just, I think this but has been effective. It's so, effective. Yeah. It's effective. And I'll, I'll be happy to meet with you and your people. So if you, if you want me to go sit in your meetings with yeah. you and I'll be happy to do that. I rarely find people that I'm floored by when it comes to their ability to communicate and effectively find motivation 
pull things out of people, level with them on any playing field, no matter what they are, because you're an intimidating guy. People look at you, right? You're big, you're tall, you know, you, you have a very large demeanor about you, uh, but your ability to connect is just so incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's, um, it's a whole another level of professionalism that I, that I rarely see. There's only like one or two of the people that I've ever seen that I've never met that I feel they can connect with you on, on this deep of a level. Well, it comes from desire though. It comes from a passion to help people. I mean, literally, because I know, I know for a fact what I'm telling you is absolutely correct. And I know for a fact that it's effective. I, I've seen it happen. I've literally seen it happen. And I can walk into any room with any person, period, real cold off the street, and get to know them quickly, right? So I would, I used to sit, my sister was the market center administrator for our office, which meant she was the person that when we would recruit agents, she would come in and after, when the, when the agent decided they wanted to join us, she would come in with the paperwork. And she would come in and she'd sit with them and she'd be frustrated, like she was mad at me for 14 years. She'd come sit with them and she'd go, so Mike talked to you about the split, right? No. Mike talked to you about profit share, right? No. Mike talked to you about the ALC, right? No. Mike talked to you about training? No. What'd you guys talk about? We talked about me. And nobody's ever done that before. And I know this is where I need to be. That's it. So exactly what I'm telling you is exactly what I used to do. Every single episode of our podcast is a recruiting appointment. It's a recruiting appointment. It's literally what I used to do when I would recruit agents because I literally came there not to recruit them. I came there to get to know them, right? I just wanted to know their story. I just wanted to know what made them tick. I wanted to know what they feared. I wanted to know what, what hurt them in the past. I wanted to know what was holding them back. Right? And we'd figure it out. Now, sometimes there were tears and sometimes there was Kleenex involved and, you know, right? But we would get to whatever was holding them back and we'd figure it out and they would verbalize it and then they'd just go, wow, that felt so much bigger before I said it. Now that I've said it, I feel better. You know, I'm relieved. You know, one thing you mentioned earlier is that people go, go to their motivation. Well, what's it that hurt and where, where did it come from? It's actually the reason, the reason I got started in real estate was because in 2005, my mother purchased our first home for us. She's first generation from Mexico. And I was 17, I think at the time when we bought the house and we always lived in a one bedroom apartment in Bonita, right on Briarwood and Robinwood. And there was this apartment complex that's back to the 54 freeway. Mm -hmm. And that's where we, that's the one bedroom apartment. And I still remember the unit number is 53. Uh, one bedroom apartment and we stayed there my entire life never had friends over because it was one bedroom didn't have enough money for gaming consoles but i grew up in Benita and east lake so i see all these people with money mm -hmm. so she finally buys us a, a house in east lake woods uh excuse me greens and uh vistas mm -hmm. buys us this big house five bedroom four bath three thousand square feet finally have my own bedroom bathroom um it's short-lived about a year and a half Finally have a bunch of friends over, we're playing video games, we're barbecuing, like every party event, every Christmas, everything's at our place, we finally have our own place and our family's mm -hmm. celebrating. Well, 2007, it all gets taken away. I remember like sheriffs coming over and knocking on the doors. I remember posts out in the front yard and all that. But at this time, mentally, I'm already checked out. Um, I'm already, you know, I'm an adult. I'm going to Mexico every single weekend. I'm a club promoter. I just, my care, my emotion, honestly, a lot of my pain 
I was, I, because of all the pain, I was numb emotionally. So I didn't have any emotional receptors at that time, and I wasn't really receptive to anyone. I was very selfish. So I didn't know what was happening. I just saw these things taking place. And I knew that we had to leave. At that time, I just had so much anger because my father left and a bunch of things happened. And then we ended up leaving the place. Um, and then from there, my mom was like, hey, we're gonna be moving back into our uncle's house. But I was already so selfish, I didn't really care. I'm like, whatever, let's just go. I was just happy to have my own room. But my room was actually a third car garage. Mm -hmm. They put a carpet out for me, they put a couch there, uh, one of those freestanding closets. I'd sleep on the couch and my clothes were hung on this closet. And I slept in the garage for a couple of years as we were rebuilding. Um, and it wasn't until later, 2013, where I got into multi-level marketing and a friend of mine said, hey, you're crushing in multi-level marketing. You're climbing the rank, you're speaking on stage, come be my assistant, I'll pay you $500 per file to be my TC and you can do it during the day and at night you can go do your shake thing, you can go sell your shakes. Sign me up coach, I'm making about four grand a month with this multi-level marketing thing. If I can do two or three files, it's five, $6,000 a month, absolutely I'm in. So I go with him and I show up to the office and I know nothing about contracts and about legal paperwork and they kind of just throw me in like I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching videos, I'm reading these contracts and I developed this eye twitch that I still have to this day because of that position in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading these things and I'm calling and I'm meeting with clients and getting these things signed and about seven months go by and I'm doing really, really well. And I asked him and I loved dressing up. I loved going to the office and this is right when Wolf of Wall Street was starting to come out. I'm like, oh my gosh, this movie's amazing. I wanna be that guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm dressing up in suits and I can barely afford them. And I'm going to like men's warehouse for $100 suits. But I'm showing up to this office to do paperwork and I loved it. It just made me feel very special and important. This was something I lacked when I was little. And I finally had relevance. But as I was going through this for these uh, six, seven months, I'm meeting with these families, go to their house with the agent, getting these things signed sometimes. And husband's right there, upset. Wife's right there, bawling. And that was like 99% of our clients. They're always upset or crying. And every time I called, crying and bawling, upset. Finally, one day I had the courage to ask my friend, I'm like, hey, so what's going on, man? All of your clients are pissed off. Like, do you just suck at your job? Mm -hmm. Or what's going on? He's like, no, what happened was all of these people are losing their house. And it's because of predatory lending that took place back in 2004, five, six. He explained the whole scheme, he's done this whole thing. And I kid you not, Mike, so I'm sitting there for, 45 minutes to an hour, he's explaining everything, and I zone out. Because as he's telling me these things, this what his house is, my mind goes back to 2005, I'm like, oh crap, mm -hmm. that's what happened to us. Yeah, you had parked that somewhere in the deep recesses, Yeah. right? There's a very popular book you should read called, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. <laughs> it's cool. Okay? Get I love it. the title. Yeah, I get, get it. Get the book. Men, compartmentalize things like the squares into squares like the squares of a waffle. Women bring emotion to everything. Their emotion is just tied up in everything they do like a bowl of spaghetti. Okay? By the way, the this is a shameless plug. The ghostwriter, I'm writing my first book starting next month on homeownership, and the ghostwriter is the author with his wife of that book. No way. Seriously. They married yeah, us. That's cool. They married us. They did our premarital counseling. Yeah. And and he she was the matron of honor in our wedding. And he was the pastor that did our he officiated our Pastor our Marco and Pastor Natalie officiated our wedding. There you go. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. Um, I compartmentalized it. Yeah. I did. And you finally shoved it away. You shoved it away. And right there in that moment it all came back. Mm -hmm. And the only emotion that I had was anger. Yeah. I was so upset. Yep. I sat the night and I just dropped every F-bomb in my head. I looked at it and it was like this 
And it was also at this right time where I was going through this transformation emotionally, where I was telling God, I'm just so sick and tired and sick and tired. I'm out of high school. I'm still living at my grandmother's house. I have no money. I'm, I'm, there's too much month left at the end of the month. I'm broke, busted, and disgusted. Like, all this stuff. Like, I'm just tired. And I even went through this, like, depression state for a while. And so I was just really upset because I thought to myself, like, number one, and so anyway, the whole point of the transformation was that my emotions were coming back to me. I was starting to feel. I had numbed everything out for a long time. My dad had just gotten out of jail at that time. He brought me to church with him. I remember like seeing God for the first time, experiencing the Holy Ghost. I prayed in tongue, never even heard of tongue before. So I went this whole spiritual, and this is all 2013, it's all taking place at the same time. And so I'm starting to feel, and I remember hearing this thing, and I got upset, and I got upset because my mom didn't tell me what we were going through. She didn't even tell me what she was going through. And now as a parent, like looking back at it now, Mike, I can't even imagine the weight that she had to carry with two children, mother, getting a home, having the embarrassment, the shame of having it taken away, having to look at and having to carry that weight for three, six, nine months before we got evicted and look at your kids every single day and protect their emotions and make sure they're okay, not have to feel anything. And then to have the shame and the guilt to say, hey kids, we have to go. And now as an adult with your two kids, find somewhere to live because financially you're not stable. And then having to put your son in a garage, share a bedroom with your 18 year old daughter. Um, for me, it just, it, it haunted me for years. Like, like it, it, it crushed me to the point where I was so mad at life. I was so mad at everything. I was so mad at everyone. And I thought to myself, how could someone take advantage? And I just, I was so mad because I was of age to do something and I didn't, I didn't, but mom did what mom was supposed to do, protects her cubs and says, I'm not going to let you feel that. She carried the weight for us. She put that on her back, still showed up to work, still loved us. We had no idea what was happening. So I look at, so this is all happening. 2013, I'm mad and upset, I'm going through all this stuff. So I tell myself, I'm gonna get my license and I'm gonna make sure that I advocate for those who don't have a voice. There'll never be another mother who has to look at another son or a daughter and say, we have to leave. There'll never be another son that has to go through what I went through at that time. There'll never be another daughter that to hire me. So I immediately got my license December 31st of 2013 is the day I passed my exam. I still have the photo. So my 10 year anniversary is coming up in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I remember going out there, my message was first time buyers, low credit, low income. I'm your guy, come talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I just started getting all these families that were in that situation. And But in the back of my head, I knew that I had to pay mom back. There was just, God spoke to me and put it in my heart. You need to take care of mom, take care of mom. And I went to church one day, and it was at Benita Valley Community Church, and Pastor Jeffrey Braun said something. He said, what I want all of you to do, and this is not specific to my situation, but he said, I want you to play the movie in advance. Wherever you're at in life, play the movie in advance. Keep on going down that path. Where do you end up? Are you happy? And then I took bold years later, and then bold was a similar thing. Close your eyes. Imagine walking down a path. You meet yourself at 80 years, and you look back. Are you happy with everything that happened? And I remember doing that exercise 
And I remember telling myself, if I continue on this path of being a little asshole, excuse my language, and I don't care, have respect or love for anyone, and mom gets older, and I never, and all she did was sacrifice her life for us, and then I never repaid her, or she never has the opportunity to remarry, or to live in the beautiful home in Benita, or to live there, or to travel, or do anything, what would I do, and how would I feel? And I remember playing the movie in advance, and I remember in my movie, I laid my mom to rest, and I thought to myself, she never got a chance to do this. She never got a chance to date. She gave up her 20s and 30s to raise two kids who were ungrateful. She gave up her 20s and 30s, never dated, never loved again, never felt the warmth of a man's love, because she raised it for us only to die young, unhappy, maybe, and never see her children successful. Because I had so much love and respect for her, I said, I'm gonna sacrifice everything that I have to make sure that that woman gets loved again, that she gets to experience matrimony, that she gets to experience travel, luxuries of life, which are freedom and options. I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to pay this woman back. And that, Mike, the next few years after that, I worked my face off. Mm -hmm. I went all in business and real estate. And the first few years were really, really hard to do it, but I had that pain of knowing that I can't let her down. I had the pain of what happened in the past driving me every single day. I was so obsessed with this focus, with this laser focus. Nothing else mattered. It was, I need to get better at communication. I went to Toastmasters every single Saturday for six years until I became the president, the youngest presiding chap president of that, one of the oldest chapters across the country. I built myself up, I learned how to dress, I learned how to read, I learned how to do all these things that in high school I didn't do because I never paid attention, I didn't have a man to teach me. I was always the guy with tattoos and you know all that kind of stuff and uh, every other word icon, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Mannerisms, po politics, you know, being polite, everything that business etiquette requires and nothing was ever taught to me, I had to learn everything from the ground up. I paid tens of thousands of dollars in coaching so that finally one day I can get to a position where people would trust me to help them buy and sell. And I did, and it took me a long time. And Mike, in the very beginning, I got my car repossessed. I had my car, all my credit cards were overdrawn. I didn't know how to manage money. I didn't know how to do anything, but I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. I figured it out. I hired people, I got mentors and coaches, and finally got to my place where we ended up buying, my wife and I ended up buying a home in 2020. Um, and then a year later, my wife and I prayed about it, and like, you know, I being called to sign this house over to my mom because this is the house. I, and that she's always talked about since I was younger, which was she wanted a single stories home in Benita with a Florida big backyard. I'm like, we're here now, but we're good, babe. Like, you and me, we're healthy. God saved our marriage. Our kids are happy and healthy. I'm like, I personally don't need much. The only thing that fills my cup every day is knowing that everyone I love around me is happy and that they're healthy. And if they're good, God's given me the strength and the fortitude to go out there and make other things happen. I'm good. Like, are you good? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm being called to do this. So we prayed, she honored it, we signed the deed, we signed the deed over to my mom, we paid off the solar, we did, we did 50, 60,000 dollars of the remod, I paid off all her debt, I managed, I just, everything into that woman before I did anything. Before I even went and bought an investment property, I'm like, I'm just gonna dump everything into her. She lit up like a Christmas tree, and, and she's happy. She went and got her license, she's debt free, she's traveling, she went to Europe, she did all these things. I'm like, I see my mom spreading her wings and I see how proud she is of me now. A son who went to juvenile home all the time. I have multiple DUIs. I have assault and battery on my, on my adult record. A lot of things that I did that I'm not proud of, she had to see me through all that, got herself into debt for me. And I was able, while she's alive and healthy, to go back and pay her back 
and give her enough health and sanity to see this is my son became that she and now that she's in real estate. I told her I absolutely can't have you on my team. You need to go somewhere else. I said, <laughs> but the brokers that she went to, the place that she went to, she's like, son. Every time I go there, like they're always talking about you. They know who you are, the brand that you created, the things that you've done in the industry in a short amount of time. And she, and she didn't have to say it, but I could see it in her eyes. Like she was just proud. And that was like my confirmation. And this happened just recently. That was my confirmation to say, good. I made her happy. She, I, I repaid everything I needed to do. Now, now, now I'm in this new part of my life, literally today, this whole week, months, last couple of times, where I'm recreating my motivation mm -hmm. because I satisfied that now. Mm -hmm. And I need to figure out what's the new thing because I, I closed that chapter happily mm -hmm. and healthily. My mom gets to see her son, a safe Christian, I'm volunteering at church, I'm tithing. I have a happy, healthy marriage. I have two wonderful children. I helped her out. So now that that chapter is closed, Mike, I'm in a season right now where I'm trying to figure out what's the new motivation, what's the new pain, what's the new whatever I need to get to, literally in the process to try to figure that out. And it's one of the most refreshing, beautiful things. But I say all that because the beginning you mentioned, you have to identify what that pain is. And that pain is what's going to drive you forward. And that pain, coupled with mentorship, coupled with focus, and absolute hunger and desire to win, is what got me to where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. And the brand that I have and being invited to speak at places like this, meet people like you. Had I not done all that, I don't think you and I would have crossed paths if I didn't have the social media presence or the success or anything that I've done or the relationships, I wouldn't have done it. But I'm here today, it's just amazing, man. It's just a beautiful feeling. So I'm sorry about the timing and everything. No, you're fine. This is exactly why we do this. Yeah. You, we literally do this to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it was just cool, man. So it's just, uh, we'll definitely have to do it again for more time to we'll go deeper into it. But, um, man. Yeah, just, this won't be the last time. We'll no, not at all. Really. We, we can go back and forth on a bunch of topics like that. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Also mentorship and all of it. So, so we're here now, right? And you're with EXP, right? And you have a team. You have a beautiful family. You have a son that's now a champion, right? Yeah. That's so cool. Um, so what's next? What's, where, where are we headed? Professionally, I'm in a position where my business, I'm happy where it's at. Okay. And, um, I had, it took me a while to define what success looked like to me. And I define it as happiness and peace mm -hmm. wherever I'm at peace and happiness. And if there's, if there's issues. And it doesn't mean comfortability. So that's not what I meant. I don't, I, I can be discomfort I and mean, uncomfortable and yet still be at peace. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. Um, so professionally, I'm okay with where my business is. I'm happy with, I'm at peace. And I know I ident identified what it is for 2024 I need to do. But really one of my passions is teaching other agents who are younger in the industry, how to become professional, how to speak the language, how to look the look, how to brand yourself, how to save yourself from putting your foot in your mouth, not knowing how to handle a request for repair because you lack the skill of negotiation and connecting with people and finding out what's really important to them, ruining a relationship with the listing agent because you think that negotiation is yelling back and forth and trying to get your way. Um, I want to help agents develop into a better version of themselves. And I had to find a vehicle, which was EXP, because I can either charge you a hefty fee for my time because in order for me to coach you, I'm taking an hour away from my son, my wife, or something else, or ministry. Mm -hmm. So financially, it has to make sense. But EXP, the model, allowed me to do it at scale. Mm -hmm. So professionally, that's what I see for myself. I want to build 
a group of agents where I can be a coach, one of the coaches, to mentor and teach these people. My business is taken care of. I also want to build a brand like I've been doing on the personal development side where I am being asked to coach, speak, travel. I spent all of 2022 traveling the entire country, Mike, and it was so much fun. I was asked to speak at, uh, in front of 800 people in Miami, another 400 people in Texas, 300 people in Denver, uh, Las Vegas, and all these mega stages. It was so great. But the one thing I never did was I never had a call to action. It was always teaching in that moment. And then once that started, finished, then no one ever grabbed my hand and said, hey, this is how you create a business or an opportunity out of that, or stay in contact with all the people. I never asked for emails. I didn't ask for any of that stuff. It was just there on my own time because I wanted to help. But I want to do that again and build something from it. And with ministry, um, that's my number one focus is how I can contribute at church, how I can do God got over my life, man, and he made a really good husband out of me, son out of me, and professional out of me. And I owe that all to God. He saved my marriage. So I want to build the kingdom first. And of course, everything that I'm saying is if it's his will. Do what I need to do professionally. Be an example. I guess at the end of the day, Mike, to simplify it, my goal is to really inspire and motivate people through my story and just show them that it doesn't matter where you came from, how you, if you're a bad son, if you were a horrible husband, if you cheated on your wife, or cheated on your spouse, like you can change and become better. And I want to show that through the way that I live. I want to show that the way that I treat my wife. I want to show that the way I love my children. I want people to meet my kids and be like, dang, like those two kids are sharp. They're honorable. They're excellent. They're polite. They're intelligent. They're everything. They're articulate. They look, they're articulate. Mm -hmm. And they look back and say that the only reason is because the parents must be amazing. And I want people to see like, wow. So that's the, that's the goal, and I don't know how to clearly define it, I guess, but it's something like I was telling well, I think them. you're clearly defining it. <laughs> that's kind of what I was telling I'm going through that whole process right now, trying to figure it out, and I'm going through a Gabe 2.0 version right now, where I'm def redefining everything, my goals, my values, how I want, what I want for 2024. But I do know that ministry needs to come first, my wife needs to come second, my business needs to come third, um, and figure out what that looks like, physically, financially which I'm going to have an answer in the next couple of weeks, like very clear vision of what I want to be. And then bam, go hit the ground running. Cause I'm not, not a spring chicken anymore, man. I'm going to be 37 pretty soon. And I want to make sure I'm taking advantage of these years that I have and the influence that I have right now while it's here. Um, so that's where that's at, Mike. And I'll have a to be continued for you. Beautiful dude. Yeah. Beautiful. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? No, man, it's been such a pleasure and honor. Like it really is. Thanks for being here, man. Dude, it's a pleasure. This we hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.